everybody welcome to the 271st edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man say chilling live and direct in beaverton oregon um feeling real good kind of forget if we're doing a college game uh talking about a college prospect or the blazers but here we are uh either way we're talking hoops it's a sunday night it's tradition it's something i look forward to um just kind of shooting the breeze with you but first and foremost i want to kick it off with uh, a sage's 2k corner you have some some news my friend i took advantage of a lot of double xp weekends and i am now a legend in nba 2k 22 and this is my third time ever being a legend this was easily the easiest uh time of being a legend but i am there i you know i came i conquered now it's just an empty void. So my club, come hollow at your boy. I, I don't know. As I was playing, I was like, I fuck. Like, because I woke up to this morning because it was double rap. And I was just like, all right, I'm playing with my friend. I'm like, I probably can get at this game. I should really actually try hard. So I think I got like 18 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and like six blocks. So I was like, all right, ah, that's good enough. I think I should get it on that one. So I was so feeling very good. Achieved legendary status. What what do you play for? What do you turn on the game for? What's the motivation? Helping my friends get there. We, me and my homie, we played and we played with probably like the best crew I've ever played with, uh, like a week ago. And you know, I played in comp, I played in comp circles too. So it's not like I haven't played with good players, but these guys were like legitimately good. And they asked us to play with them, but they had four spots. And my boy and I were like, okay. And they wanted me to play. I was like, nah, I can't. I can't I can't leave the homie. So um it is obviously to help Stu, help my guy Jaw get to 40 and get Stu Legend. So that's what I'm playing for. But obviously, I won't be as dedicated or you know, try as hard when I'm th- like I'm, I'm playing for nothing. So uh, there's no need for me to sweat my balls off and losses don't mean as much. What do you get when you become a legend? Oh, Tuesday? this is sad. This is sad. We get a parrot, <laughs> we get a parrot. And I got to choose the color of said parrot. Like so you, who put the parrot on your shoulder? No, he gets on the like the uh, the backboard, the holy yeah. backboard, and talk shit. Okay, but I can do that. I can do that better than the parrot because I have you know, I'm a human with you know reactions that are happening now. I think the, if the parrot said low processing speed, low processing speed, that would be better. But you know, it's not gonna. Um, but I did get a tiger for hitting forty this. This season, I got a tiger that follows me around. Like in 2K15, 16, there was tigers if you hit that level of legend. So that's cool. Reminds me of when I played when I didn't have responsibilities. So that's chill. But no, I got it. And uh, I had I have nine people have nine chances now to get legend. So it's not like I'm the only legend in the class. There's going to be plenty of other legends walking around. But uh, yeah, that was cool, too have like 30 days to not, did not have to play 2k so it was really good i i enjoy it would you ever consider applying to play in like the 2k leagues i'm so i tried last year to not in the 2k leagues obviously i'm not that good but 
I tried and, you know, I made a few, te- I made a few rosters last year as like the wing guy that steals the ball, shoots threes and gets rebounds. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah. Like e- even this year, like when I play solo, I'm like a small forward who's six, seven, but it's like, I run point guard most of the time just because of the decision-making and stuff. So uh, my guy shoots 40 from three dunks it really well, plays defense, block shots, steals, but the real reason an NBA team would sign me is the ball skills, not the, not the other, other statistics. It's the six, seven that can play that can run the offense. But yeah, I, I don't think I'm ever good enough to get into that league, but if there were like pro-am leagues that are a tier or two down, I probably could make the team. Well, that was a great seg. Uh, I always, I always love hearing what's going on in your world. Sometimes I'll text you and I'll be like, uh, Sage is just probably playing 2k and you'll text me like at two in the morning. So I was like, no, oh, yeah. I won't text. I will. I will text when the game is over or, <laughs> well, I think that you know me well enough to not text me at three fifty, like when lineups are about to be set. Cause you know, that shit isn't ever going to get replied in a nice time. It's like, you got that tunnel vision when it's DFS time. <laughs> There was a girl like a few months ago that texted me at 3.50 and I actually took the time to respond. I'm like, oh, this is weird. Let's get back to crunching my lineups. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into the week that was for the Trailblazer Sage. It was a week in, in which uh, the Blazers ended up one in three. They now stand uh, 21 and 29 on the, the season, 10th in the West. They are two and a half ahead of the Spurs, two and a half behind uh, the Lakers. Uh, looking at the week, they came home off of that six game road trip and they dropped both of those contests. Uh, first was to the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, they lose by two. Anthony Simons misses that game winning shot. They could not overcome a second half surge from Anthony Edwards, who put up 40. Uh, Portland loses 109-107. The following night, uh, without Nasir Little, it was really evident that they missed his defense as Dallas got whatever they wanted in a 132-112 blowout. Portland then hits the road. They beat the Rockets for the second time in Houston this year, 125-110. to And then they lost a Sunday matinee in Chicago to the Bulls, giving up, again, 130 points in a 14-point loss to Chicago that evens that season series at one apiece. They have two games left on this road trip, Sage, and it is getting close to the trade deadline. So if you know you look at that schedule, Portland only has six games left until the deadline. So I would assume that no matter what moves that the front office makes, no nothing Portland really does between now and the deadline will already take them off of the path that they probably already, you know, started that car and they're, they're, they're already going down. So with the week that was my good for the week is although the Blazers went one and three, I I think we saw that this team is who we thought they were. Like they, they had a four and two road trip and you never kind of want to get ahead of yourselves as in they're kind of playing above above themselves and you maybe make decisions based upon what you think that team is. I think this further cements, that's the word, it cements who we thought the Blazers were. And I think it was those home games against semi-healthy teams. And that's why this year is so, 
strange and kind of difficult to maneuver and navigate is because one night you're playing maybe Durant, Irving, and Harden, and the next night you're playing a team without their two all-stars. So you don't really know who you're playing on a nightly basis. So I thought the Timberwolves and the Mavericks gave Portland a team, yes, already down their all-star in Damian Lillard, but it gave Portland a team that was coming in pretty hot by their standards, and they kind of put them in their place, so to speak. Like It wasn't super difficult for those teams to get what they wanted, especially on the offensive end of the floor. And when you also look at the injury to Nasir Little, which, spoiler alert, is my ugly for the week, you look and you just, it also cements his value. So Nasir has value to this team. We know the three guard lineup doesn't work, but now we really, really know it, it doesn't work because we saw just how important and impactful having some balance in that starting unit was And little at the three provided all of those things that you were talking about your 2K player bringing to the table. So when you remove Nasir out of that starting lineup, you put another offensive-minded, smaller player in Norman Powell playing out of position, and then you really lose the ability to match up against the likes of DeMar DeRozan, uh, Luka Doncic, uh, Zach Levine, all of those types of players. And Anthony Edwards, you know, because Nasir got hurt in, in that, you know, the second half of that game, you know, we had seen Portland making strides on the defensive end of the floor, but those back-to-back 130-point, you know, that kind of really exemplifies Nasir's value and that Portland really needs to get away from this three-guard small lineup and start to figure out how to build a, a, a roster. And it's never great. It's never a start, you know, to a podcast where you're like, yeah, the place is one and three. That's That's my good for the week. But if you're looking long-term, these losses are going to help. And I think you're starting to figure out what you need. Like, I, to, per, to be perfectly honest, Norman Powell is probably a better player than this year Little, but roster construction, you would rather have a less talented player who fits your roster better than a more talented, undersized player. And, and I, I think that's hopefully what, what Joe Cronin is, is going to see. And it's going to... We're going to see a lot of games like this when Portland goes up against a quality opponent, especially who has uh, wing scores who can you know provide matchup nightmares when you don't have anybody. And I think that's another thing. It's like Portland has a couple of you know undersized fours in Covington and Nance. Neither of those guys are really a three. Like Nasir is the only legit, I think, small forward NBA capable player on the roster. Yeah, Tony Snell is size and weight in terms of a small four, but I wouldn't say you want Tony Snell in your rotation. So I think this just shows Nasir's value. I think it shows the direction the Blazers need to build upon. They've got a lot of scores in the backcourt. How can they fill out the rest of that roster? So that that was my, my good for the week is it cements that the Blazers are having a bad year just because they had a good road trip. Let, let's not get off navigation. Let's stay on, on course, on target, reset for this year and then reassess at in the off season. Um, I would say that my good is to see that Ant, Norm and uh, CJ can play well together in terms of just scoring. I know that it just cuts the wings off of Yusuf Nurkic to have those three guards, but you can see that those three 
against bad teams in a, in a fast matchup can carry us. That's good just for like the value of each of those three players, because, you know, this isn't a uh, very, we're not close to being completed. So to see that those three can provide the scoring enough to like beat the Houston Rockets or whoever, that's good. And it, it, it increases value. My bad for the week. So I was, we're, we're going to do a Johnny Davis, uh, podcast pretty pretty soon it, it will be released this friday right. so johnny davis shooting guard from wisconsin projected top five to ten pick is up next on our list so uh listeners be on the lookout for that one go ahead Sage. so i was doing the comps and one of the comps was norman powell under terry stotts because when you watch norman powell with chauncey billups we're talking i just mentioned that Yusuf's wings got clipped he clipped the wings of Norman Powell a lot. Like I remember last year, the Blazers were doing like off-ball actions to get Norman space to launch. He's just standing in the corner. We're not utilizing him well. And it's made it so his shooting's worse because he's taking worse shots and he's driving a lot because they're not giving like the spacing isn't good enough for him to take the shot. So the Chauncey Billups really just cut the wings out of them. And it was just like seeing that, seeing what we had last year with off-ball movement and movement shooting and to see that go away completely this year. I bet if we looked at all of Norman Powell's moving or like moving shots or pin downs to get him open, maybe three or four times. It's not that much. And I remember last year, like his first made shot from against Orlando, it was a movement shot and it looked beautiful. And like, you saw that it was uh, sustainable and efficient. And then we don't see any of it here. And it's based on our guards may or may not being able to get paint touches, but we have a guy that's a movement shooter and that's such a rare commodity and we're not using him, and he's staying in the corner and shooting poorly. You know, what's funny about that, that game and that play is I know exactly the play you're talking about. I do believe it's a top shot moment, but that game came when Damian Lillard was not in the lineup. It was Norman Powell started. He was Dame was out and uh, Norm was the starting two. And I think CJ started at the one. So it was somewhat balanced. So that's another element to that. But yeah. But even in uh, other games, like last year with Stotts, you saw Nurkic set big body screens and Norman would either cut to the hoop or get to the open spot in the wing. Like he was a zone busting three point shooter. And now it's just like he's in the corner. Teams are going to go at him because he's, you know, a good shooter. And then he, he, they, they make him uh pass of the shot for the drive. And then our spacing so shitty that he goes into six players in the paint. So yeah, Chauncey Billups, we talked about it a lot. The only players that he really helped this year was Anthony Simons and Nasir and Nasir, just because he played, you're looking at the worst possible version of Norman Powell. And people are saying that he's bad, but it's like, Yo, there's so much context to be determined from how, yes, he is playing bad to his standards, but he hasn't given the right circumstances to win. Like if I gave somebody the holy backboard who had no audio engineering experience, I'm putting them in a bad situation. You're putting Norman Powell in a bad situation, making him be a corner sitter. And when he gets open shots, it's fucking like the best course of action is to drive. So it like, Seeing what he has become is really sad to me. 
Did you agree with the decision to bring him off the bench when uh, Nasir was healthy? I believe it was the Minnesota game. It was one game, right? It was only one game. Yeah, and and you could – you. my argument would be, like, he's returning from COVID. He's not going to start and play, like, a lot of minutes. We didn't put him in a good position afterwards. But, I mean, if Nasir actually played, I probably would put Norm on the bench but promise him, like, you're getting your minutes. You're going to get your minutes. But I I get it. But (laughs) it only lasted one game, so – I don't know. Like it could have been a COVID thing. Could have been a COVID issue. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with keeping Nasir in as the starter. He he had earned that right. Now, however, the other two starting guards wanted to go. That's up for debate. But but I do think that was uh, necessary and deserved uh, of Nasir. He has played until the injury and deserved his spot, but. In a similar manner, my bad for the week is Yusuf Nurkic and nothing that's in his control. But you see when Nasir is out, you have the three-guard lineup. You have Anthony, CJ, and Norman. Nurk is not high on the pecking order in terms of getting the ball and the usage rate and decision-making and – my thing with Nurk, if you are going to bring him back, you're going to sign him to a, a multi-year contract. You're not going to move him at the deadline. He absolutely has to be the first or second option on, on offense. And I don't know if that's a winning success or not. I think that's a, a debate for another episode. But Nurk, as the fourth option, we, we, we've, we saw it in the Denver series last year, doesn't work. You look at today's game against Chicago, he has five field goal attempts, and he's on one of his hottest streaks of his entire career. Conversely, CJ and Ant, while they don't shoot a horrible percentage, they're still taking nearly 50% of the team's overall shots. They took 41 of the team's 83 shots. That's not a recipe for success. And this is why I have a little bit of a hesitancy to say, yeah, Damon Ant is going to work. Like, you're not going to win with the volume shooting from the backcourt, from the outside. Now, if you have two players who are going to dominate the, the attempts, it's got to be like a Shaq and Kobe where you're going inside and out. You have some balance. So I think the theme for this episode is balance. Portland doesn't have it. The, the roster is completely out of whack. And to have Nurkic, who I, I think Vucevic provides him a comparable matchup. It's not like Jokic, who is in a, a tier tier two above him. Vucevic is a similar type of center in terms of skill and build. And exactly. And for Portland, not it's like they, they just completely go away. They're like, oh, this is who we are. We're going to shoot the ball from the outside. Like, that that can't happen. So if if this is how Yusuf Nurkic is going to be utilized, you have to trade him while his value is high. If you do not think you can bring him back and you're not going to bring him back in a, a highly prominent role, you have to move him on. You have to set him free. And that, that's been the big worry with Nurk. Like you look back to Nurk fever in the 2017 season, he was the number two option. Like when, when I remember doing these podcasts with you, Sage, and he 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 surpassed CJ in terms of who like who's the second best blazer. There was even a debate about who is the most valuable blazer. 
it was Nurkic with how he was able to dominate inside with his decision-making, not that he was a better player than Damian Lillard, but just what he brought to the table. And he had that great stretch right before he had that injury in, in 2019. There's an argument to be made that if Nurkic was healthy, the team's winning that championship in 2019. That's how valuable he can be when he is engaged and when he is utilized properly. So that's why that's my bad for the week. You can't go into a matchup where Chicago's dinged up as well. They're, they're missing a lot of talent. Caruso, Lonzo Ball, Patrick Williams, Derek Jones Jr. I mean, they, they're missing a lot of horses. One of their horses that was there was Vucevic. He's part of their big three. And I think Nurkic actually can match up with him. Relatively so, easy. And then they, they, they run a traditional big. So I just did a uh, quick NBA wowie search. And with CJ, Ant, Yusuf, and Norman on the court, Ant gets 25% of the usage. CJ gets 21. Norman gets 17 and then Yusuf gets 22% usage, but he's on the floor with those three the entire time. If it was to work, wouldn't it be best if, okay, this is the team that we have for at least till the deadline. Wouldn't it be best to make sure that you don't like two Yusuf and another guard are on the court together? Because when all four are on the court, they eat at each other's percentages and usage rates. Wouldn't it be good if, like, let's say Anton, like, we do the first starting lineup. You take CJ out, you put take Norm out to rest. They finish the first quarter. Then you put Wadford in with Norm, with CJ, and then whoever else you want to throw in. Like, it's just a bad rotation in terms of who's going on and who's going off. It, it Like, they cannibalize each other every second they're in the ga- game together, yet they don't have any time apart. So you're you're, like – you're trying to punch Chicago in the face with this is our best possible lineup. This is our best possible lineup. But then when they're off the court, they suck. And they're just cannibal. Like Norm, CJ, and Ant, they're doing a lot of the same shit. So you can't really, like they're not diversifying at each other. If we had like a smart coaching staff and Scott Brooks isn't that, I would try and split it up so you can utilize their skill sets. So you have 48 minutes of, continuous good basketball not this is our highs this is our lows you're gonna have to deal with both of them throughout the basketball game so i think that the rotation is just bad for yusuf i think that it could work if he had time to be number two on the court he just isn't that ever i i think i mean there's no damian lillard right now he needs to have time where he's the number one option. I mean, if, if you're really trying to evaluate Nurkic as a long-term fit with this roster in this franchise you got to give him an audition and, and we you've seen how he can be when, when they're starting to feature and, you know, utilize him. But, you know, I thought what Norm gave the team only took 10 shots, hit 70% of them. I don't know if you're going to expect 70 yeah, you're not gonna get every that. time, but he played really good defense last but two years, 10 attempts. He's getting to, he got to the line as many times as CJ and Ant did combined. So again, this is where the balance issue comes into play. You, CJ, Ant, and Dame, they're the same player, give or take one or two attributes. I mean, Mm -hmm. they really are in terms of needing the ball in their hands, utilizing the pick and roll, not the best playmakers. Like, so they really, when they look to get theirs, and that's where they're most successful. So let's say we break them up. What would be the best combination of them being broken up? So is it Ant-Nurk? 
CJ Norm, or what? What is the combination of those to two play together? Yeah, we've already so I we've already seen when CJ and Norm were injured or had cut coronavirus, um, basically unavailable to to to, to suit up. That's that chemistry with Ant and Nurk really provided some bright spots in a pretty dim season. I, you want to see more of that, especially if you're married to the idea that Anthony Simons is a long-term fit, the maybe the predecessor to Damian Lillard. You know, Lillard's going to pass the torch onto Simons. You want to build a relationship, and you really want Anthony to work on aspects of his game that are considered somewhat weaknesses right now. And I think working a pick and roll with a, a really solid big man is it, high on that list. I would absolutely play those two together with a spacer who can just catch so and ben shoot. Mack. Absolutely. And then I put CJ and Norm together. If Obviously, you can't just sit those. So almost by default, you know, I put those two together. I don't love that fit, but it's... It I, actually works if you... I, I'm looking at it together. And they haven't played that many minutes together with Dame, Ant, and Yusuf off the floor. But those two are dominating everything when they're on the court like 60 percent of the blazers offense is those two win on the court so if you put them with trend and you put them with ben benny mack and you put it with robert covington you have your scoring you have your defense cj is uh, trying to be the alpha so you have a relatively good roster surrounding those two with guys that are just doing yeoman's work also, great, great use of yeomans. That's one Thank of my, you. my favorite I, I, I words. know I've heard it from you. So, like, I, and I, I heard it from Sean. So it's kind of you know the circle of the circle but, of vocabulary life. But yeah, I, I think that I it's it's tough to say that this shit doesn't work. But you have to be creative to to make it work. When you're not creative with your rotations and roster flexibility, then it it looks like dog shit. But when you want to like break it up and make it better, I think that it can be better. I just don't know if Chauncey Billups and the coaching staff are willing to put the rotations in. Cause let's just, I'm just looking at it from the start of this year till now, CJ and Norman have played on the court together for 28 minutes without Dame, Yusuf, and Ant. So you, we don't know it works, but in the time that it had, has gone on it, it's looked pretty good in terms of those two dominate everything and the rest of the guys are just trying to support them and just to look at the style of play and why it's so hard to win with guards who look to shoot first and score and are high volume type of players I mean, just go back to Allen Iverson. Like, there's no way another guard like him would have worked alongside AI. That's why they had Eric Snow, who just basically played defense and got the fuck out of the way. You you look at Russell Westbrook on the Lakers and, and why it's really not working is because he's having to, to share some of some of those touches. And when he was actually able to be unleashed, you know, I that, that game against Charlotte, you know, I watched it in the second half. He was Westbrook of old. He ends up with 35. He's hitting crazy threes, almost brings them back to victory. But that's because he was able to go into Westbrook mode where it's my way or the highway. Get the fuck out of the way. I'm putting up this shot and everything is predicated off of what I want to do. I'm not saying that the Ant and CJ and Dame are, are Russ and AI, but they're similar mindset of players in their score first. 
So you really can only have one of those players and you have to find players that complement them. you got to find your Eric Snows and Aaron McKees and George Hills and Tyron, Tyron Hill and Dukembe Mutombo. You, you that that Sixers roster doesn't work with Larry Hughes. You have to, you have to build. You have to build. I mean, even, just even looking, I've been an NBA fan since, since 1990. I've got pretty good history from 80 on. There haven't been many great score first point guards that have had championship level success. Isaiah Thomas is up there, but he had one of the greatest defenses behind him in in modern history. Joe Dumars was also didn't need the ball in his hands a whole heck of a lot. Uh, Steph Curry plays extremely well off of the ball. It wasn't ball dominant. You don't really have, you know, that was kind of the, the knock on point guards growing up is like, well, they're, they're great, but who did Kobe have? Who did Jordan have? You know, it was all about but the But those big two man. were the point guards of the team. They were just Yeah, guys. it was either the big man. You know, you had your Hakeem, you had your David Robinson, your Duncan, or you had just your great wing player. Like, Magic Johnson was pass first. Like, he wasn't the score first. And when, you know, teams tried to get Magic to score a lot, and that threw him off his game. So it, it's really like a revolution getting these just incredibly talented crop of, of kind of score first point guards. But it, it it hasn't been told that that's still the recipe for success. So Portland is going that that's the the big thing. You know, if you want to keep Dame, the code I don't think has been cracked yet. Like, how do you build that roster that can work the best? Well, and I think they think that in team building, Neil O'Shea had an idea of one thing that would work and when he constructed that team, it didn't work. And we were kind of like, well, that's, we can't play anymore since this can't work. So let's try and make it work, but it doesn't. I mean, like Steph, you know, Steph had like a usage rate of 28, third, like these, these guards still, like, even though he plays off ball, he still, he still takes shots. He still does this. I mean, I, I think it's just that we were far behind. We were at the time we're, behind on how to team build and like we don't have the schematics on how to do it like if you look at how the warriors did it then you have some hints and we just kind of did our own thing and we have been stuck in this uh kicking the can down can down the road and haven't found the right mix of players and players are getting older now they've had an established so uh, career, so they're not cheap anymore. It, it's what we what what has gone on in the last few years just really puts us in a tough place with everybody getting older, and uh, the young guys are going to look to get paid in the future. So how are we how are we going to feel the roster when playing like 70 percent of our you know potential salary on guard? So it, it's we we need Cronin to alleviate some of this pressure now. Same, our uglies are the same, right? It's I assume our ugly is the same. Yeah. Um, Nasir Little went out in the game against Minnesota, came back to play. MRI was later revealed. I think he had a tour a tear in his. I think it was his left labrum. Um, that's an injury that has sidelined a few players. I think Siakam had a similar injury as well, but 
going back to his rookie year, um, clearly it's devastating because Portland's played sub 500 ball this year. He and Anthony Simons were probably the two lone bright spots for fans to tune in to watch. And you were able to watch the development of a, you know, former first round pick start to get all of those reps that he needed to do so. And he was having a career year by far, you know, flashing those flashes of brilliance, but his injury going down, not only I think, you know, cemented that he is the type of small forward that the team needs, but my question for you, Sage, is can the Blazers now rely on Nasir Little as a building block of the future? And again, this isn't a knock on him, but certain players just have the injury bug. I remember Zadrunas Ogowskis was hurt for like the first four or five years of his career. Then he turned it around and was probably he's probably a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers Hall of Fame. I think he has his jersey retired. Um, but it just seems like it, it it bites the same player over and over again. Uh, you look in that that 2020 season. I don't believe he played in the bubble at all. Did, wasn't he? Year. Didn't he have like a de, like massive dehydration or something? He had something with the dehydration. He had uh, the coronavirus uh, last year, and he had something else that caused him to only play in 48 of the 72 games, and then. Obviously, now he's out for the remainder of the season. So what do you do if you are Joe Cronin? Clearly, you're not going to trade him. His value is is down. But do you now view him as a building block? Are you just going to chalk it up as that's just, you know, some bad luck? Or do you just kind of proceed with caution? Like we were talking about maybe an Isaac Okoro trade and who would start between the two. Do you kind of just fall more into that camp that I'll let the best player, you know, kind of rise to the top or how are you approaching this? If you, if you were Joe Cronin Sage, you know that he has had some really bad luck with injuries, but he's had bad luck with injuries seemingly every year. So, you know, like we're, we were probably having this conversation about Yusuf a few years ago where maybe he gets, you know, like he, he works past the injury bug, like drew holiday, worked past the injury bug. He had a stress factor two years in a row in his ankle. He worked past it and is like now a champion. But, you know, there's way more players that aren't Drew Holiday and Big Z that have had debilitating injury after debilitating injury. I don't think we should throw him away, but I don't think that I feel secure and he is the small forward of the future. So if there was an Isaac Okoro trade, I'd welcome it. And the good thing about Nasir Little is his positionality. You know, with Yusuf, there's only one center on the court. But with Nasir, he can play the two, three, or four. So if, if he has that healthy year and we have Isaac Okoro, then it's Dame, Isaac Okoro, Nasir, whoever, and whoever. So because of his versatility, he also has, like, extra staying power over Yusuf where like you can't play Cody Zeller and Yusuf. You can't play uh, Larry. You shouldn't play Larry Nance and Yusuf at the same time. It ruins spacing, but Nasir, because of his wing play, he can play with Isaac Okoro. The spacing is going to be trash, but the spacing is already trash. So, so I think that because of what he is, he'll always be able to play if he's healthy. Now keeping him healthy is going to be the tough part.
Yeah, and what's scary about it is Nasir describing the play, basically saying, I went up for the rebound, my arm was extended. Did you see and, it yet? Or did you yeah. yeah, I no, knew I thought, he I knew he was that that injury looked pretty awful. Like yeah, I knew he, he was out for a basically while. said he tried to rip the ball down and my, my arm was was caught up in there and it kind of remembers uh when Zach Collins did kind of a similar mm-hmm. thing against Luka Doncic in Dallas and Zach Collins still has not came back. That injury happened in 2019 in, in the fall, third game of that third game of the year. Um, I know he's had other injuries that have kept him out, but that, that shoulder basically kept him out for the entire season. Um, Do you think we're going to see Nasir this time next year? They said it's a, I mean, they being, you know, who, doctors online, you never know. Like if it's a five or six month injury, probably maybe training camp if you're lucky. Like, I, I think he's a player that if you do feel like he is a building block and you really have to kind of progress him slowly, like you want to make sure it's fully healed. Like you can't play basketball without shoulders. You can't shoot. You can't block shots. You can't pass. You can't, you can't box out. <laughs> you can't do shit without your shoulders. Your your arms are negligible. They're, they're inactive. They're immobile. You can't do anything with them. So, so it, it's just, it's it's a bummer because he was having, it's a bummer just for Nasir. He was actually having a really good year showing why he was a McDonald's All-American, such a highly touted recruit to North Carolina. And to have this happen, he m- mentally, I hope he's doing okay, because that's just got to be such a, just a bummer, like a shitty news. Like here I go again, like, and it's, it's something odd and different every single year for him. Well, that was the same with Yusuf too. So my question to you is, and before we started this podcast, we were talking about Jabari Smith, like what tier of prospect is he? What tier of prospect currently do you think Nasir Little is to you? And then what do you think his value is to the rest of the league? That's a really good question. I would say tier three. Like, I think he's a late lottery pick um, in terms of if he was in in this draft. So would you project him to be like a long-term starter off the bench? I I think he's definitely a a, a long-term starter for multiple years. Like, I I think he's a reliable, dependable type of player. Consistency is going to be the name of his game. He's going to bring you energy. And I think he has the ceiling to give you like, 30 once in a while like i think he's that type i don't think he's an all-star type of player but if he's in your starting lineup and he's your fourth or fifth best player you can you can still win a title like i, I think he so he's the he, fifth man on a championship team he's the type of player you just need winning teams need players like Nasir little and that doesn't mean that just because he's not a a all-star that's Oh wow, whatever. We can we can we can just figure this out. No, you, you're not gonna win a team with a bunch of all-stars. You need players who know the roles, who provide different things, who are willing to get dirty and, and energize the team and do the little things, hustle, bring the intangibles to the table. That's what Nasir Little did. Like you you need that. And it's clearly gone. And nobody else on this roster provides what he does. So I I think obviously whenever you have a player that you like, the value to the organization is higher than it is outside. I still think he's probably viewed similarly um, amongst rival GMs. You so can do you never think you could get the MLE if he was a free agent? Oh, you're paying more for Mr. Little. 
than the MLE. Because I think production-wise, and this is a very weird comp, but he kind of reminds me of a small version, small forward version of P.J. Tucker. You're never going to want him to be your alpha on the court, but he will be able to fit with who's on the court at the given time. Like, I, I don't see players on this team that I can say, Nasir Little can't work with this guy because of X, Y, and Z. Nasir will always be able to contribute. And that, I mean, like, I think he'll stay in the league a while. I just think that he might, his ceiling has lowered quite a bit. And just, this is Nasir. He's going to be a good player in the league. He's going to, he's going to have some highlights. He's going to put in the effort 100% of the time. It's just, I don't see the Iggy anymore. (laughs) I mean, I think we, we, the great thing about him is there's still time. Like he's still a, a young player. And the the biggest thing for Nasir is he still has a couple of years left on his deal. He doesn't have to feel like, oh, I just lost my shot to get to get a payday. He's still owed uh 2.3 million this season, jumps up to 4.1 million in 2023, and then he becomes a restricted free agent. So he still has another year to go out hoop get that big contract so hopefully he's in in that right state of mind where it's like okay this is just going to be a minor setback to a major comeback and he's able to continue on that that trajectory that we all hope and wish for for him like when, when I look at past blazer teams I don't know if he's going to be the player of Jerome Kersey's caliber but There are similarities in that in terms of his ability to energize his teammates in the crowd with his his finishes on the break. Like teams, our teams know to get them the ball and good things are going to happen. Just finishes finishes with authority, a lot of heart, a lot of hustle. I think if he continues along that, like a Wesley Matthews, like he was like the ticking heartbeat of, of those Blazer squads. And it doesn't matter if Wes can't put the ball on the floor and score. He's probably just a catch and shoot guy but his intangibles meant so much more and brought so much to the table. Wesley Matthews was just probably a three or four point advantage, just having him on your team. Same thing with Jerome Kersey, another player that played big as the lights got brighter. Obviously we haven't seen this here little in any of those scenarios. So it's hard to make that comparison. But again, if he can be an Andre Iguodala in that sense, we're like, okay, we're in a, we're in a do or die game. I know this guy is gonna gonna up his game. You know he's he's a money player. That's PJ Tucker. What you talk about? PJ Tucker is a money player. Like you know what you're gonna get, and he's gonna bring it every night, and he's gonna elevate it when the the, the pressure builds. I think you you made that that uh, great quote a while ago. You know pressure can either bust pipes or or make diamonds. Like I, I think Nasir has that 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 ceiling in terms of of, of the NBA. You need players who aren't gonna shy away. And I, I hope we get to see him um, in those moments. So do you think that I'll ever be a league average three-point shooter? Yes. Just from the already significant improvement I've noticed from when I watched him in summer league, the rookie year, like now it's like, it, it should go in. Like he's open that that is a good shot. I'm okay with him shooting rookie year. It was like the, the, the form was a little jacked up. Yeah. It was all over the place. I think with his work ethic, it's going to get good. It's going to get better. 
I have zero doubt uh, about that. Honestly, so league average. Do you think it'll be better, or do you think league average is? I think it'll be a point or two better than league average. Okay. I think he's got knocked down. Like, don't like he's not never going to be a movement shooter, but like you're talking PJ Tucker, you're talking somebody who's going to stand so, in the. Yeah, I think yeah, PJ yeah. Tucker's corner. Like, you remember PJ Tucker as not a good three point shooter. Like, if I I think that Nasir's. What will stop Nasir from playing in this league is his jump shot. If he can make himself be PJ Tucker or a little worse than PJ Tucker from three, he won't get off the floor. He just will not be able to get off the floor. Like you can't not have Nasir Little in the lead in your finishing five. If you if he hits at a good level, he's there every every game. He will be a consistent finishing five member. So it, it, to me. What unlocks this here little is that jump shot. So I know you can't, he can't really practice it, but with the, with the injured shoulder, but that like, if we could send him to the 2k summer camp that you get every season, I would send him to the jump shooting camp for uh, the, the three pointer. Cause I think that's that like, if he, if he's like a 37% three point shooter from the corners or, you know, like in general, he that he he is that founding member of the finishing five. There are kind of two Blazers I, I reminisce about when, when I think of those comparisons, and one Blazer was able to play into their 30s and, and one wasn't. You look at Jerome Kersey, he was able to get a, a respectable jump shot, and he, you know, as his athleticism kind of started to to decline a bit he was able to fall back on that jumper and didn't maybe have to play as hard. So he gave himself a little bit more mileage down the road. Then you look at Gerald Wallace, who played a similar type of game where you're getting a lot of, you know, hustle plays, balls to the wall. He never could find that consistent jump shot. And he was out of the league that moment. His athleticism wasn't at an NBA at caliber. So I think Nasir Little's jump shot is going to define how long he's able to play yeah, that, that second contract is going to be all about his jump shot. Cause once he gets that second, yo, the third, the third is where you make your serious, serious money. If he can't, if he hasn't developed that shot, it's just going to be, Oh, it's, he's going to get some one years, two year deals. But if he can hit at a if he's hits at a good clip, I was going to just say, if he has a 79 jump shot in 2k, like that, he, he would be fine. But like, if he can raise that three-point rating, I think his uh, his chances of getting that third contract will go up immensely. Yeah, I mean, look at Will Barton. He came into the yeah. league with a very inconsistent jump shot, worked his ass off, and now you don't want to leave Will open. Like, Will is a very good shooter, um, especially by NBA standards. And I, I think, you know, if, if he has a jumper even a notch lower than Will's, you, you're going to be happy. What if he turns into Tony Allen with the lack of jump shooting? Do you think he gets that third contract? Wait, Tony Allen doesn't have jump shooting. Yeah, if he turns in, if he just stays at where he is, if it plateaus well, I mean, here. Sage, you and I are already better jump shooters than Tony Allen. So, I mean, I, I don't, to be perfectly honest, I don't think Tony Allen plays in today's NBA. They, they would, you remember when the Warriors played the Grizzlies and they were pseudo like playing a zone in like four on five, like they completely disregarded Tony Allen. That was like seven years ago. 
given how much the NBA has advanced in terms of, you know, different strategies and different defenses, could you imagine the type of shit that like Nick Nurse would coerce against a player like, you know, concoct against Tony? Tony Allen's not playing in, in today's NBA. So then he's going to have, I mean, he's, he's had his highs. He's had his lows. Again, he's a third year player. He'd be a senior in college right now. There's still potential to grow. Like Will Barton didn't become a good shooter after one year working at it. It took him multiple years. Like it's something that's, you know, very difficult to do at at a high level. Like you're playing in a very high pressure situation, 20,000 fans watching you, millions watching on the television, and you're expected to all, you get maybe like 10 shots a night. Look at Norman Powell. You got to hit like six or seven of those, right? Like that's hard to do, not in an open gym. It, It takes time. It takes confidence. It takes repetition. I think he'll get it. He's got a lot of confidence from the leader of the team and Damian Lillard. Dame believes in him. I, I think really health is the only thing that's going to stop Monsieur Little. And, and I feel confident about that. All right, Sage, now that we've kind of discussed the week that was, I have some, some questions that, that I want to get your, your thoughts on. Trent Watford as an undrafted player, a two-way contract out of LSU, he has been providing those those big minutes now that that Larry Nance has been sidelined for a, a significant amount of time. Cody Zeller is out for the remainder of the season. Do you see him as you know? We talked about Nasir as a building block. Like, do you see Watford as like it, if we're talking about next year's Blazers, like he is in your top eight or nine rotation, or does? He, or does he still have room that he needs to improve? And where are those aspects? Because it's always great when you can find a diamond in the rough, but does it need more polishing or is it ready to be, you know, ready to go out the door? Uh, for your analogy of like, is he ready? <clears throat> I don't think he's, I don't think that he would play if the Blazers were at all healthy. He's taking advantage of a situation that presented himself and he's doing well. But I don't think that if Larry Nance or Robert, like if if Cody Zeller or uh, Larry Nance or any of the other players were healthy, he would see the floor. Um, I think that if he were, like, I think his ball skills are good for a big. But man, I've seen him throw the laziest passes. I've seen him step over the line on inbounds. I just don't see him being a rotation player. Like if, if he's like the Rondé Hollis Jefferson of our team where he tries really hard and is a minimum contract guy, that's awesome for him. Cause he's an undrafted rookie, but I don't see him having this like core level uh, standing with this team. I think he's a really good story. There's a lot of things that he does well. There's a lot of things he doesn't do well. But to say that he would be in the, my eight-man rotation, uh, I don't I don't see it in the future. Okay. So you said you would send Nasir Little to a jump shooting camp if this was 2K. You could choose one camp. Where are you sending Trenton oh, to this fuck. summer? This is going to make me sound so mean. I'm increasing his basketball IQ. I think that uh, – so this is where shit gets follow, weird. Follow, follow-up question after you. Do you think you can teach basketball IQ? Like, I think that he has born? a feel for the game. I don't think he's a smart basketball player. 
break that down. What do you, what do you mean by that? I think he knows what to do with his body in terms of, Oh, okay. This guy's open. I'm going to pass it to him or the ball's going out of bounds. I'm going to run for it and try and make a play. Um, IQ is like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I don't think his decision-making is good on the basketball court. Like I, Okay, I'm trying not to be mean. I'm trying not to be mean. I, I I think he makes a lot of stupid mistakes, so the consistency of decision making isn't there. I think even in even in summer league, I think you were able to see summer league. Like it felt like 50% of the times his decision making and the feel for the game worked out in his opinion and in, in his uh favor. And then the other half, it was a complete and utter failure. So and it, you see it even more now with him getting more rotation minutes that some of the, the decisions he makes is good. And then others, it's just like, what are you doing? So if I could take him to the 2K camp, I would increase his basketball IQ. I, I, his body knows what to do. His brain doesn't actually always make the best decisions. And then if I had two, I would make him go into defensive camp because I've watched him at LSU. He's awful. Like having Cam Thomas and Trenton Watford be on your college team, you are the worst college team in the fucking nation. Like in defense, in, in terms of defense, Trenton was a humongous part of Louisiana State University's bad defense last year. Now that Cam and he are gone, they're one of the best defenses in the nation. So I think that if you want to make uh, Trenton part of your core, you got to work on it. You got to work with them a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it, like, it's not like, it's not with his body. It's with some of the decision-making. So at six, eight, clearly an undersized five, can he play the four in the modern NBA or wh- he needs to go to shooting camp too, dude. He can't spread the floor. That's why he's playing the five. I mean, like, Again, I fuck it. I would, I would prefer to give somebody else a chance. I think that Trendon could be a really good player in Europe or China or Australia. I don't know if he's that for the NBA. So you think at twenty one, there's the 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 floor is what it's at, and the ceiling's not much higher than than what we're seeing. Yeah, think I, he's... I, I don't think that he is gonna is a good NBA basketball player. And, you know, like I've watched him a bunch. I know what he is. I know what his game's like. He's made the same mistakes throughout his career. I mean, I I, I definitely see that he is one of the best, like, thousand basketball players in the world. It just might not be in the NBA where he flourishes the most. Aside from Dame, is there any long-term keepers on this roster in your mind. I, I've got mine. I, I want to know if you have yours. And long-term, I mean, at least in the next two to three seasons. Like the, I, that are untradeable? Or that, you that I would prefer keep. to keep? Like, the, no, not, not untouchables, but like you're saying, okay, this is my core. Like, is there any like keepers? Like, you know, you're talking about like catch and release. Like, are you thinking like, uh, this player's all right, but I, I think we could, could upgrade. Or like, you know, I, I really like what we have here. Like, let's, the shoe fits, not going to buy another pair type type of analogy. Everybody is you. Everybody on this team is replaceable. You know what I mean? Like 
Dame, because of what he's done and the player that he is, I wouldn't trade unless given the right offer. But everybody's tradable with the right offer. But if I was to keep players, I think CJ is very tradable. I think Ant is at his peak of tradability. I do like Norman, but again, if we can net some real stuff, I, I don't know, man. Like, I like the players as players, but I don't, I don't find that none of them, like it would hurt to trade, but I would understand it. So I would say that Dame and that's it. Like everybody else, I think we could replace their production or at least like something close to it. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? I think one of Dame or Anthony, depending on the, I, I've already gone on record. I, I don't like the fit with, with Dame and, and Ant. Like I don't like the fit with Ant and CJ or Dame and CJ. Like I think you need one guard and then need a, a big guard at, at, at the two um, that gives you something different. So one of Dame or Ant, depending on the direction of, of the team. And then I, I keep Nasir. Um, I, I think he's a player that means more to us than he's going to, to net you back. I, I think players of his size and his athleticism, his, his athleticism and the, the hustle that, that he provides, like that's, you can't find that in a box score. Like there's, there's what 12 times 30, there's maybe over 350 jobs in, in the entire NBA. Not many players are willing to do the dirty work that, that Nasir Little does. That they're very hard to find. So when you have it, you keep it. Even if he's not starting, but he's maybe being your sixth or seventh man off the bench, that he plays, I think, winning basketball. He, he brings those attributes to the table that help teams succeed. And I think we're really going to see that over the, the last stretch of the season when he's not on the the court so it's it's Nasir and then Dame Dame or Ant for me if I was guaranteed I could get Peak Yusuf I, I would keep him just because I, I don't think that's that a guarantee you know it's tough. it's one it's it's not a guarantee Nurk does have have injury uh, history which is uh, I don't think you can overlook that I think that would be um, a little naive to do so but also you don't know how he's going to be utilized like if he's not going to be all the way engaged and you're not going to run sets through him and let him be his best version of himself. It doesn't make any sense to keep him. But I, like you said, I think everyone else, you just have to just reshuffle and reset. And I know it's kind of like, Oh, like what, what are we doing here? We're trading the whole team. Well, this is just kind of what we were left with. There's it's just the reality of the situation. Like you said, you like players as individuals, but you put them collectively together and it's just, it's kind of like a mismatched outfit that maybe you thought in your mind was going to be fire. Like I've done that before. It's like, Oh, you know, I finally get to go out, you know, get my one outfit for the week. Let's try something new and different. And you try it on, look in the mirror. It's like, Oh, this actually does not work at all. I look, I look terrible. It's kind of with the blazer roster. It's like, Oh yeah, you put a little bit of here, put a little bit of there. It doesn't work. You have to kind of go back to the drawing board. And so I think that's where I'm at with that one the next uh item on my list that i really wanted to get your opinion on is i don't know how much validity it is but i've seen a, a lot more articles in terms of 
you know, Mark Stein reporting that the Blazers have more of an appetite to break up the, the longstanding Dame CJ relationship. But it's not that that I want your take on. It's the team who CJ has been rumored to be landing in. Oh, God, yeah. That's the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I'm not saying whether you want CJ or not. Who are some of the players or picks or exceptions? Like, what should Portland, if, if you were Joe Cronin, who are you desiring to get back from New Orleans? So we can we can agree that Brandon Ingram probably isn't in that. Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are off the table. Okay. So I, I would probably want Josh Hart and Josh Hart won. I don't know how you would feel about Nikhil. I would probably want Josh Hart, Nikhil, and if you could swing Trey Murphy in a pick, that'd be pretty awesome. See, to me, Trey Murphy, uh, that's what gets me going is you get a small forward, like mm-hmm. someone with some size, like Hart, Hart yes, because he is a, a big guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, those rookies from that 2020, 2021 class, like I am all about because like we did a lot of research for, you know, the, the blog and our mock drafts and you see the talent. You remember how happy I was. We spent the draft together. You know how happy it was that I got, we got Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy was a sensational pick. Yeah. So that's the floor. mm -hmm. You like, again, is Chauncey Billups going to ruin him? Maybe probably, but he has a lot of potential to be that shooter that, Dame needs that Ant needs to be next to him. Like he's going to provide space and be tall. Like again, like I think Trey Murphy would probably be the, uh, the main piece because of how young and good he is. But, you know, does Cronin know what he was at, what he was like at Virginia, what he was like in that, that uh, summer league with how good he was. He's not getting run now, but you've seen how Willie green treats him when he does play and how, like when when he's on the bench, those two talk. So, you know, you, you see the skill set, but yeah, I, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see us getting Herb because I think the, that would be a funky, funky fit with some of our, our, our team now, but yeah, if Trey and uh, Josh Hart and probably Sato because of the salary, you'd have to take on some pretty bad contracts because sad Sato's bad. Like you, you would have to take some pretty bad stuff, but like the, 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 the gems would be the, the future picks and uh, uh, Trey and Josh. Yeah. So CJ makes about 31 million. You have, it wouldn't be too bad. Josh makes 12 and Sato makes 10. So you just have to make up, you know, five to 6 million. Uh, so there wouldn't actually be too many bad contracts. Sato is expiring and you'd want to keep, uh, Josh Hart. So I guess from your point of view, what would be the, the interest from new Orleans side? Are, are they dying to, to make the playoffs? Uh, what, what, what's going on down in the Crescent city? I don't see. I don't want us to make it, but I want us to tank because it's kind of like the thing where it's like, do you really want to make the playoffs and lose to the warriors or the Suns in four games? We don't have a lot of, that high level talent right now. It's just Brandon Ingram and Jonas Valanciunas. I don't think you'd want Jonas, would you? No, I I, I think Portland I think he's was, good. I just don't know if the fit would work with Dame. 
he is a good player. I think the center position in the NBA is just going in a completely like. Different... Is there that much of a difference between Jonas and and Yusuf? No, they they do different things, but in terms of production, I I, I don't. I think those are pretty comparable. So, and they're pretty similar in terms of body shape and defense. Like neither of them are going to block shots. Like to tell you where I'm at in in terms of the center position in terms of both of them are good basketball. players give me mason plumley okay. I, I can figure out the rest of the roster mason plumley will do what i need him to do like give me a mobile big who can do a little bit of playmaking i don't need to run offense through my big i, I don't need to post him up you know that unless you're getting the joker or joel Embiid, it really doesn't fucking matter mm-hmm. yeah and i think that we have someone so would you take Josh, Trey, uh, Tomas, and whatever makes it work for CJ. Oh, absolutely. I feel like everybody would be so underwhelmed. I mean, I if people are underwhelmed by, by that offer, I think you need to reset expectations. This isn't 2016. This isn't 2017 when CJ was coming off. It of isn't NBA 2K either. Yeah, this isn't a most improved campaign. CJ's not also a young player anymore. Yeah, he's, he th- he's my age, man. 30, he's going to be 31 years old. He, he's a papa. He's a dog dad as well. Like, he's married. He's wifed up. He's, so he's, why would New Orleans want this? CJ, we know this. Rich, old, white people want to make the playoffs. They, 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 they want to succeed. They, they want that revenue. Isn't that, there, there that rumor that CJ hates New Orleans, too? I Remember that heard. rumor? No, I don't know what 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 about that is, but because remember he was at the award, he was at Louisiana. It was like, well, you can get anything you want in New Orleans, I guess. Something in that level of a, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think this. I mean, if we wanted CJ to succeed, does him playing with Brandon Ingram? He would be the third guy on that team, right? Well, you want to get play. Brandon as many touches. You don't want Zion if you ever sets foot on the floor again. Yeah, like That's- Zion, don't play. No, CJ is your two option if with with the Pelicans. If Zion's hurt, mm. so yeah, I, I don't really know. What's it doesn't going knock on. my socks off on either side, so I guess it's good. I mean, I I, I just I appreciate CJ. He he's been you know I got to meet him when I worked for the team. Spent spent a whole afternoon like following him around on his first day. Like really nice guy. I think for his sake, uh, the, the one one of the two, Dame or CJ, needs to get broken up. And now it's Ant coming. And no, like there's just too many players doing the same thing. So I want to see him try something new. It, what I am looking for in, in a return for either a Norman Powell or a CJ McCollum, you definitely need some salary relief, and that's you get that with, with Sadoransky. Uh, you need either a two guard that does something different than Lillard, which you get in Josh Hart or you get a first round pick or you get a, a prospect. So you get two of those, you get three of those four things. You get cap relief, you get a big guard, you get a prospect and a pick. You get three of those four things that that knocks my socks off because those are now building blocks that you can start to say, okay, CJ is better than Josh Hart, but Josh Hart probably is a better fit and better fit. I think in a team concept will always outweigh individual uh talent and then again 
you have that that pick, you have that cap relief, like you're, you just get so much more flexibility. And, and let's just kind of think about this in a tangent for, um, you get, you know, in theory, well, let's say the rumor is true. The Atlanta Hawks are, are taking a, a player and a pick for John Collins. Well, what do you know? Now you have a pick and you can match salary. You can go and get John Collins if you want to get John Collins. And now you start to see like, oh, the domino effect. I'm starting to get, you know, Josh Hart and I got John Collins. Like, how, how can this, this team work together? So, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. One trade's not going to, you know, bring the Blazers to prominence. It is a series of probably three to four to five pretty dang good moves. So I, I think you have to, re- when you look at a trade and you see these perspectives and these, um, you know, trade requests type of, you know, people throw them out there. You have to say, okay, does this check your box? Like what, what are, what is Portland getting? You can't just be like, oh, well, nobody's as good as CJ. So we're not, you know, winning this trade, but maybe you need other things. You know, if we got Tramer, like that, that would be like, hell yeah. Like, so that was one of the reasons I was really all in on the Batum trade was because I didn't want to play, pay Batum his, his next big contract. And I was willing to roll the dice on a veteran like Gerald Henderson, who helped us out that year, and a former lottery pick in Noah Vonleh. Like you, you never know if you're going to get Noah Vonleh or you're going to get Rashid Wallace. Like Rashid was a former pick that we that we traded Rod Strickland for. Rod Strickland was the better player at the time, but didn't really fit. wasn't much of a need, so we went out. Got Sheed. Sheed was almost helped us get a freaking championship. So. No, I think Portland has to steer clear. When you have like, I think 12 counts of domestic violence. No, I mean, we, we all saw what happened when, when Chauncey, that, that hiring process, um, unless it's a thing where you just take Jackson for the salary and then you just do what the Oklahoma City Thunder did with Myers Leonard and said, you know, we, we don't want this, this bad PR. Like that's a, that's a sticky situation that I think Portland should steer clear from until it's all settled so if i think you would choose between the or josh hart like again you you can't start stacking multiple like guards that are that are shooting guards i i love nikhil as, as a prospect i still think he's got a lot of he's um, gotten kicked to the nuts enough to be humble which yeah. i think is really good for him like he would be like you know like last year we thought ant would be the super six man yep Nikhil would be the super six man for the team. Like he'd play two. He got, two he the got three. You know, humbled a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause I remember Nikhil's first game. Like he was ISOing when like Brandon Ingram was on the court. Like he had to get humbled a lot. And you saw him with Canada and the, the FIBA or whatever. Like, Oh, he's, he can play. He just needs to not shoot so fucking much, but like I mean, he would be a really good Jordan Clarkson off the bench. New Orleans has done a good job of assembling really nice trade ships, really nice young assets. You talked about Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, unfortunately, Kyra Lewis has, has been hurt, but you know he still has a lot of uh, potential. So New Orleans, I, I think, makes sense from Portland's perspective in terms of of what you're looking for. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting. Uh, trade day which is coming up now in 11 days but that, that's what i wanted uh, to get your thoughts on especially with you being so close to what do you uh, think about watford test. i don't think we ever got your opinion on watford 
I think you, if you can continue to give him smaller contracts, like Portland doesn't have young prospects, really. It's, mm-hmm. it's Anthony and, and it's Nasir. Like the last first round pick Portland has on this roster is pre-coronavirus. Like 2019 was, was the last first round pick that we have on this team. And that's Nasir Little. So I think you give players like Watford and Greg Brown as many minutes as they can physically take and see what you can get. I think Watford has proven enough. He's shown enough that I think you say, okay, we're, we're going to bring you back ne- next year and we'll see if we can get you. He's on a two-way contract right now. So can we get something, you know, that's team friendly, like almost like what the Thunder were able to do with, with Lou Dort and see if you have something there, maybe uh, an off season, like you finish playing this year, he continues to get the reps and you get that diamond in, 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 in the rough, like, I just say you continue to roll the dice, but I, I do see what you see in terms of like one play. It's like, Oh shit. How was this guy undrafted? And the next play it's like, yeah, I see why you were undrafted. So I think consistency, if you could go to consistency camp, that's where I would send him like potentials there. There's really no one else to give minutes to right now. So you might as well see. Yeah. What does this mean for Greg Brown? If he's not getting any run in when we're decimated with injuries, what does that it's, mean it's, for his It's future? not a good look. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. I'll I mean, tell you what. I, t- I tell you what in, in my best Hank Hill voice. Uh, it, it's it's not a good look. But again, I think he was drafted as a massive project. Uh, he really was drafted based upon his athleticism alone. He was a you know four, high four, at least a four or five star prospect coming into Texas. So clearly guys who leave after their first year, that slipped that late in the second round, they're just drafted on their high school potential. And you're hoping you can find someone like a Richard Lewis who was drafted right out of high school, really late in the second round and blossomed, took, took a while, but was able to blossom. However, for every Richard Lewis, there's a a Corleone young, you know, there's a million bad players. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I would say there was that old, the old adage, he's two years away from being two years away. That, I mean, that, Jay Billis, I think, or is it Jay Billis or Fran Fischella? It was a player the the Raptors drafted, um, Bruno Bruno Cabocolo, maybe. Yeah, so he he's a, a long ways away. I wouldn't make any like I wouldn't like make a decision to build around him, but I wouldn't also like make him untouchable. Like if somebody's like, we really want Greg Brown, okay, you know. I haven't been impressed with anything Greg Brown's done outside. He's got to learn learn the game a bit, like as a young player, like. That's why, again, why I would hopefully like to see him play more is because the only way to really learn the game is to get meaningful full minutes. Like, it's great when he comes in at the end of games and throws down between the leg dunks. Everyone goes crazy, but he's not really gaining basketball experience doing that. Like, I want to see, and maybe that's for summer league. And, you know, a good example was uh, Jeff Ayers, formerly Jeff Pendergraft. Portland drafted him in the second round out of Arizona State. And he was just kind of an energy guy, maybe grabbed a rebound, blocked a shot, could could throw down a dunk if you passed him the ball. But, you know, you really wanted to see what he was able to, like, could he do anything else? And Portland used Summer League to do that. And they tried to run post-ups to him and run offense through him. And it was so painfully obvious that that was not the case. Like, he is who he was. Maybe it's Summer League that Portland figures out what Greg Brown uh, can, what, what he's not capable of doing. But, I mean... If, for this decimated by injuries, I mean, shit, you might as well try it out in the regular season and see if it works. 
Chauncey Billups and that staff watch him play in practice every day. And if he can't beat out Cameron McGriff for playing time, I don't know. Well, he's under contract for a couple more seasons, so hopefully he's able to uh, figure it out. Sage, the Blazers continue their road trip and the week that will be, there are four games. They finish up Oklahoma City Monday at 5. Then they have the Los Angeles Lakers Wednesday, February 2nd at 7.30. They meet the Thunder again out in the first game back from that road trip uh, Friday at 7. And then they have another home back-to-back uh, Saturday at 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they're going to be playing the Thunder twice. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is going to be sidelined through the All-Star break with, with that ankle. Um, it is the first time that the two teams have, have met this year. Oklahoma City clearly is in full tank mode. They are 14-34, and 34, lost seven straight. Um, there's really not much to write home about with this franchise other than talking about their plethora uh, of draft picks. So if, if you're Portland – how do you not get are you the opponent in this game? Like if, if Portland shows up, should they handle business or, or what should they look out for? I mean, Lou Dort and Josh Giddy would be the two guys that could potentially beat them. Like Josh Giddy, the youngest player to ever record a triple double too. I think he's good. There's some weird things about his game where he doesn't like, he like drives straight up. Like he doesn't move his body down to drive, but you don't need to look cool when you drive and can assist. But, like, you know, Lou Dort can always spike a ceiling game against us. I don't feel like Darius Baisley is a good basketball player, but he plays 30 minutes a game. Robinson Earl from uh, Villanova plays, like, 30 a game. None of these guys are very, like, spectacularly good outside of the two guys that are playing. And if, if Shea was playing, obviously, we'd mention him. But it, it's really those two guards, the rest – you know, I don't really think that I think they're trending watch for Greg Brown level quality players. And I would say for the most part, they're not getting blown out. I mean, they they have a game every now and then where they kind of uh, get taken to the woodshed, but they're playing some some tough basketball. So they clearly haven't, you know, one, two, three Cancun this season quite yet. You look at the game against Indiana, they, they take the Pacers to overtime, losing by three. They only lost to the Bulls by one at home. Uh, they played the Cavaliers tough in Cleveland, losing by seven, only lost by two uh, to Dallas. And they earlier only lost to Cleveland by five. So they're, and they won at Brooklyn by 21. So they, they are playing competitive basketball for the most part. I think the player that just jumps out at me and it's maybe it's from PTSD from last season, but Mike Muscala, like he is, a, he is a veteran that wants his money if he's open, he's going to make the team pay. Like, I just don't think this is a game you can sleepwalk through uh, because they, they are Blazers still... can't afford to do that ever. No. I mean, the Blazers ever. never could be able to, but even especially now. Yeah, um, you can't afford you can't afford to uh, half-step against any team in the league with how talented everybody is. Like, the, the, the Houston Rockets were, went on runs against us to make that game respectable. What if they actually won it? Like... The Lakers next, uh, LeBron James has continued to miss. I think he missed his third straight game mm. um, today against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I saw something on the ticker 
that he may be back Wednesday against the Portland Trailblazers. Again, let's not forget this is a a Lakers team that absolutely shellacked Portland in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve by 33 points. Anthony Davis has returned. They don't play until they play Portland on Wednesday. So so it gives it gives the Lakers a lot of time to to kind of rest and recuperate. They've have probably been the league's biggest disappointment this year. They are three games under 500. They've lost. They've lost three straight games, Sage. They've lost three, uh, excuse me, they're three and seven in their last 10. They're not protecting home court, um, just 15 and 12 at home. Portland's only, like, I don't want Portland to catch the Lakers in terms of the playoffs, but it's really sad that the Lakers are only two and a half games ahead of this Portland franchise in the Western Conference playoff standings. Um, I, I think this game is entirely predicated on LeBron or Anthony Davis playing. I think they need one grown up in that starting lineup. So you would imagine, like, let's just say AD and LeBron are there. I wouldn't imagine Anthony Davis wants to defend Yusuf Nurkic at all. So we're with that being said, wouldn't Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan have to play? You think so? Because there's no way Anthony Davis wants any piece of Yusuf banging him around. Anthony Davis is not like contact. He don't but, fuck with that. But he did start at, at center today for the, the Lakers at 27 in, in 38 minutes. And I believe he against went up who? against Clint Capella. So they are you would put the pressure on AD more than Clint, though, because even as banged up as the Lakers are, DeAndre Jordan was a coach's decision, did not play. And Dwight Howard only logged in 10 minutes. So I think they're I think Frank Vogel is kind of just like, fuck everything. I'm, I'm coaching for my job here. So if I need to bench Russ, I'm benching Russ and AD, you are uh, you're playing center, bud. Well, yeah, they should just like they the they should have Malik Monk and uh, THT play as much as possible now. So they're ready for clutch minutes in the playoffs if they make it. But I think for this matchup, I just don't see AD guarding Yusuf. So that makes the team a lot less explosive. I mean, are they putting LeBron on Yusuf? Like they, they no, I think they go Dwight. I think they go Dwight. I think he yeah. plays like 26. You think they're going to start him? Yeah, I think they start Dwight and keep him and kind of match him with Yusuf, man. It'll be interesting because uh, obviously Anthony's not on the level that that Trey Young is. Trey Young is scorching hot. He had 36 in and 12, but one would have to assume that's why Vogel didn't start Howard and AD is because AD better at, at moving in space. So, yeah. you know, Anthony could have a really big night if they do decide to go big. Good thing about Anthony is he's playing point. So Russell Westbrook's defending him. I could see a big Anthony night. Like whoever gets guarded by Russ is going to have a really great night because I don't know where the narrative of him being a good defender has been, but it ain't it ain't now. He ain't he ain't the Russ of like 20, 2012. Like this guy doesn't want to play defense. So I mean, I would I would if we had bigs, I would pack the paint and force them to score on us in the paint because. Like, do you really think that uh, that Russell Westbrook going uh, shooting long range shots against us isn't a good thing, or LeBron or AD? Like, this team needs shooters in the worst way, but they don't have it. So, I uh, I, I, I would if we were doing predictions, I think the Lakers win, but I think it'll be closer than a lot of people think. 
And then the Blazers get the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that they just have not been able to find the, the, the they couldn't, they can't solve the Giannis equation since Giannis kind of rose to prominence. Who's guarding Giannis? He's just kind of been the, the cheat code that Portland cannot figure out. Um, the Bucks currently on the season are 31 and 21, but they're playing 500 ball over their last 10 games. Um, just a little over 500 on the road. It's going to be an interesting game because you really never know what you're going to get from, from Milwaukee. Like they just lost by 36 points. Yeah. They could home. bench everybody against us. Yeah. At home to Denver. Like, but they also beat the bulls. Like you just don't know what you're going to get. And it could be a championship hangover. It could be COVID hangover. It could be. They don't really give a shit about regular season basketball too. Yeah. So it's, it, it's hard to kind of see where, where they're going and, and what they're, they're trying to accomplish. But um Imagine that they're fully healthy coming into this game. They are Houston? fully healthy. Yeah, so. but they could they could easily just make some shit up. Yeah. Who does but, who does Yusuf defend? Bobby? Probably, yeah. Because there's no way you can responsibly put him against Giannis. Who guards Giannis? Like who no gets one guards Giannis? He's gonna fuck he's he's Euro stepping to the fucking cup every time, man. I guess you put the Covington on him and then once Covington picks up five fouls in 26 minutes, I don't know. You put Trendon Watford in and say, good luck. I think the matchup to watch is going to be Chris Middleton. And I, I don't think we have an answer for, for that. Just like DeMar DeRozan, uh, big, yeah. big guards I mean, are going to give us. Drew? Like there's so many bad matchups for us. Yeah. Who does it, Drew guard? Does he guard CJ or does he guard Ant? I would probably say he's going to, whoever is bringing the ball up the court, they'll take. I, I mean that this, this is probably the worst matchup possible for the Blazers. Milwaukee is a, a, a tough matchup. Um, let's see, do they play anybody before us? No, they have a four day. Oh, so Giannis break. is going to be Giannis is going to be well rested for this game. They will be well rested. So, so how many? Okay, I know you don't do gambling. Over under thirty minutes, Giannis plays. Over like thirty-two. Is thirty-two the max you would say? I mean, if, if things are going Milwaukee's way, probably yeah. Yeah, Portland but, tends to put up a good fight in the first quarter. Um, it seems like it's the second half when they the, fade. The, they it fade. starts to fade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I could see Bobby Portis having a game against us. I could see Middleton. I could see Drew. I Giannis, obviously. Like, there's just so many mismatches mismatches to exploit. I'm just excited to see Charles Lee in the sidelines. Hopefully we can wave at each other through the, 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 the screen metaverse shit. All right, Sage. I think that wraps up this episode. Let our listeners know where they can find us at. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three, our time, four to five Eastern at be on the lookout for the Johnny Davis podcast coming out friday and then we'll go into the arizona wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go, let's go.